welcome to the Indie Dog. I'm your host, Radha Thomas. Vera de Jong is an artist and her husband, George Penner, is a baker and jam maker. They are not doctors. They haven't been to vet school or nursing school. But if you listen to these stories, puppy after puppy, I swear you'll want them by your side if your dog has a medical emergency. For a decade or more, with intuition, mindfulness, empathy, YouTube and Google, they've saved the lives of hundreds of puppies just because there was no vet available in those beautiful hills of Kodekanal in Tamil Nadu. From bottle feeding every four hours, to inserting GI tubes, to bringing Lazarus back from the dead, they've given so many puppies a chance at life. Of course, word gets around, and people in Cody, strangers and friends, have taken to dropping off abandoned litters at their house, just because they know Vera and George will be able to handle it. For Vera, it's a, pardon the pun, uphill battle, but she's not giving up. Hi, Vera, and welcome to the Indie Dog. Hi, Radha. Thanks for inviting me. I'm, this is a subject close to my heart, so I'm delighted to be in, uh, invited to talk to you today. Oh, it's close to my heart, too. And I'm really happy that you're here with me today. Tell me, how do you find all these puppies? Uh, these puppies are brought to us by people who find them on the street, or we pass them ourselves on the road. We'll pick up a small puppy uh, or litter, and the worst condition they're in, the more likely we are to pick them up. We don't pick up older dogs because they've learned to live on the street, but uh, the t- the tiny ones we pick up if there is no mother, if they're on the road, if we find them and they're uh, sick or uh, injured or abandoned. That makes perfect sense. How many puppies are we talking about? And can you tell me what happens typically? We've been, my husband and I have been fostering about, as I said, about 50 or 60 puppies per year. Uh, they come from all, uh, uh, they come to us for all reasons. Um, for example, uh, we had two puppies that were two days old that were left in a bag on the street. A friend of ours found them, told uh, someone who called us, and we went and picked them up. Their names were Peanut and Pretzel. Two days old? Uh, they, it's, they, they literally had their umbilical cords still attached. Mm-hmm. We went into um, a mode that we now know fairly well, which is you have to give them proper food. You have to make sure their temperature is correct. And of course, that they're, until they're about three weeks old, they are not able to toilet independently. So you have to actually wipe them and uh, make sure that they you do the job that the mother would do if she were uh, looking after them. Do what the mother would do, like giving them milk, but not cow's milk, of course. I mean, I know that's not good even for human babies. So what did you do? So we learned something that we call magic formula, which is which replaces uh, um, lactose-free powders, which are expensive and hard to get. Basically, it's a mix of yogurt, egg yolks, uh, lactogen powder, and omega oils for dogs, and olive oil. We mix that up. Wow. 
George and Vera's magic formula. But how do you feed such small puppies? When you have a puppy, when you have puppies who are so tiny, you have to go through a cycle about every four hours where they wake up, you warm up their milk, you feed them with a syringe, you change their hot water bottle, you make sure that they're, that they are wiped so that they toilet properly, and then they go back to sleep. Four hours later, night and day, they wake up again. So for about, depending on their age, up until they're about 18 days old, your life is about this because you can't miss it ever. You have to be there every single time to do this because it's survive. It's basically life and death. Yeah, I see that. It also sounds very exhausting. Yeah. So when they're about 18 or 20 days, they start drinking milk on their own. And let me tell you, it's quite a relief. <laughs> but you keep doing this nonstop. So do you have any more puppy dog tales for me? Um, we had a puppy come to us after one week called Lazarus. Uh, we named them all, you know, uh, spontaneously when they arrived. So this was Lazarus. He was literally almost dead. He was hypothermic. He was dehydrated. We put him on a hot water bottle, but he was too weak to drink. But he was Lazarus. So there was no vet to call. So George Googled how to tube feed a newborn puppy. And he watched the, the YouTube video and he read a few things and he cut the correct length of tubing from an IV kit. And he basically tube fed this puppy, put the tube down his throat and put in the food with a syringe. And about Three hours later, four hours later, Lazarus woke up again. And by that time, he had gotten enough strength that he was off and running. And then for the next uh, day, for the next two weeks, we fed him, according to this program, with the hot water bottle, the syringe and all of that. Lazarus lives about two blocks from here. He's about four years old now. Beautiful dog, beautiful pitch black uh, boy, gorgeous fellow. Oh, that's just a wonderful tale. T-A-L-E and T-A-I-L. And what's happening these days? Uh, most recently, we had a litter brought to us, which was Greta, Audrey, Humphrey, and Marilyn. Movie stars. They had skin issues. They were full of parasites, uh, uh, internal parasites. Uh, Humphrey's eye was infected and swollen shut they were in they 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 stank and they were in terrible condition the kind of condition that george and vera are not daunted by how old were they so they were about 4 or 5 weeks old and we settled them in clean you know um, bathed them with shampoo started giving them antibiotics uh deworming uh medicine for for Humphrey's eyes and they've also gone for adoption they became four beautiful uh puppies with lovely coats good personalities healthy and friendly and they are now in their new adoption homes. The best kind of outcome. Your puppy stories are just incredible. 
Don't stop. Keep going. We had a, a litter of nine puppies that was dropped just inside our gate in the pouring rain. We happened to see them because we went outside for some other reason and brought them in, hot water bottle, usual routine. And I, you know, spontaneously, we have to find names. We fostered more than 400 puppies. So they all started with M. So they became Myla, Marsha, Marnie, Mona, Minnie, Malcolm, Marty, Multi, and Mitzi. My, my, my. Stephen came to us. Stephen and his brother Sebastian came to us. Stephen was almost fully paralyzed. He could move only his head. And we, of course, took him in and thought to ourselves, what are we going to do with a paralyzed puppy? We carried him out for his toilet. He was a tiny fellow. He was about six, six or seven weeks. Uh, he we held him up so he could have his food. We carried him out for his toilet. We did that for, and of course, we dewormed him. Now, uh, not to go into too many details, but he, let me say he was badly infested with uh, parasites. So we carried on for about three, four days. On about day four, Stephen stood on his own while he had his food. Well, let me tell you, we, we, we wanted to just celebrate. And by day seven, he was walking around. By day 14, he was running and he was perfectly normal. My goodness, that's just, I mean, that's just astonishing. And it must make you feel so validated because it just shows that you can, if you put your mind to it, you have the power to learn and to fix things and to, you don't have to be dependent on someone else like a vet or a doctor that you didn't have at the time. Amazing. So what we learned from Googling, because we have learned so slowly, but a lot over the years, is that the reason for his paralysis was the neurotoxin that was being produced by the parasites. Thank goodness for the internet and all the information. It's almost like a closely guarded treasure chest. It suddenly opened out, so you and George just kind of walked in and took what you wanted. A parasite. So once that had been, once the, the parasite, parasitic infection had been removed, he became perfectly well, beautiful dog. He went for ado adoption. He's uh, somewhere in, I think, Tiruvannamalai, somewhere in Tamil Nadu is where his family is, where he lives now. How simple it all seems once you know what to look for, right? So what else did Dr. George and Dr. Vera do? Uh, about six months later, we had a tiny puppy come to us, Gerald. And after a few hours, Gerald had a full-blown uh, ground mal seizure. And again, we noticed, because we deworm first off, and we noticed that he had a bad infestation. So he had a full-blown ground mal seizure. He became blind. He was uh, he was just running around invisibly. He he took off across the orchard, and was going just leaping from terrace to terrace. Tiny little thing. He was six or seven weeks old. We finally caught him, brought him back, and didn't know what to do. He in about. He, in the course of about a week, he had six or seven 
seizures like this. We'd never seen anything like it. And that was the end of it. And again, we Googled and we learned that seizures like this can be from the same source as what was afflicting Stephen, which was the neurotoxin produced by these worms. One more takeaway for me, besides all the others I've learned so far, is deworm your dog for sure and Google a lot, right? But Vera, it's 10 times harder for you and George to do this kind of doctoring up in Cody. You absolutely needed a vet. So over the years, we have learned so much. You know, we would we would be so happy. We would have been so happy if there had been a vet to call at every point, you know, during this, because so many times we don't know how to do an IV. Um, so many times we have needed diagnostics. We have been heart sick because there were occasions when we couldn't save a puppy because they had parvovirus or something that we was just beyond our abilities. Right. So if we had, if we'd had a vet to do diagnostics, to give IVs, because uh, particularly for rehydration, because a sick puppy often uh, what kills them is dehydration. I can't even begin to imagine how you've been dealing with this kind of thing for so many years. By the way, how many puppies can you and George attend to at one go? We've had as many as 23 small puppies at once. And people say to me, how do you know all their names? And I'm always surprised when they say that, because of course I do. Of course you do. Switching gears just a little, COVID must have done a number on the streeties in Cody, right? So what happened when COVID hit? Well, Cody's a tourist town, and uh, literally overnight, March of 2020, everything shut down. So the street dog population of this town, to a large extent, survives on the leftovers from the hotels and restaurants and that disappeared. Uh, a group of citizens took it upon themselves at first informally and then they got more systematic very quickly and in fact were supported by KSPCA which then helped run the program, uh, started to feed street dogs. Every day they cooked food, vo uh, volunteers on uh, bikes and in vehicles went around to the various parts of the town and left food for the street dogs. Like they did all over the country and maybe other countries too. What a nightmare. So back to the beginning, how did all this get started for you and George, with the puppies I mean? Uh, so it started, we started slowly about 10 years ago. There was no animal welfare facility. There was no programs in place. We were doing a kind of spontaneous care of puppies that uh, that we ended up adopting and find, or, uh, fostering and finding homes for. No vets, no government, no nothing? Well, we have had, over the years, we've had a couple of visits from Humane Society International. They come with their team and they do neutering camps where in the first uh, occasion they neutered something like 500 dogs. Wow, 500 dogs at one go? That's some program over a period of two months. So they go out onto the streets, they'll pick up street dogs, 
and they'll bring them into the facility and they will be neutered. They'll be vaccinated for rabies. And then when they're ready to be placed back on the street, they will be brought back according to an app that's used for this purpose, which they do in every city, including in Cody. They drop the dog within a few meters of where it was originally picked up. So it's very systematic. It's all recorded. And a street dog might live in a gateway, but that's their home. So that's where you have to drop that dog off. Ah, sophisticated kind of system. But this kind of thing has to be done very regularly or it all falls apart because by the time you turn around, some dog has had a litter and the cycle continues. How have you been able to manage? So otherwise, there have been uh, periodic visits by vets from nearby cities. We They will come for a neutering camp, what we call a neutering camp, ABC camp, animal birth control camp. We will schedule and organize the neutering camp in advance, and they will come for two or three days, and uh, then we will... Uh, they will do surgeries on dogs and cats, but mostly dogs, uh, and then go, you know, back to their own practice in the city. Hmm. Always some kind of make to no perfect solution, and you just have to figure out how to cope. We've managed through one thing or another to do as much as we possibly can, but none of this is enough. There needs to be a, a vet in place full-time so that a small animal vet in place full-time so that sick or injured animals can be treated immediately so that there can be ongoing rabies vaccination programs and that dogs, a certain number of dogs can get neutering surgery every week. So what's the KSPCA and why won't they take care of all of this? No, so the Cody Canal Society for Protection and Care for Animals uh, was, okay, so KSPCA was running in the 90s. There was a group of citizens, people who are still our friends today, who were on their own initiative and from their own pockets were doing neutering programs, uh, doing a neutering program. They neutered hundreds of dogs at that time, but they were doing it from their own pockets and it was exhausting, and eventually, after some years, it uh, they got burnt out. I can imagine. That could happen to anyone. So then, about 10 or 12 years ago, KSPCA was rejuvenated by uh, uh, Janani Krishnamurti, who is still the main person in charge of KSPCA. So there was an animal welfare building, a building built for that purpose, but it had not been used. So after much effort and persuasion, we managed to persuade the municipality to allow us to use that building. Then we got donations. And again, with a lot of work and effort, that building was brought up to the point where it is now, where there's a um, uh, operating, fully equipped, fully functioning operating theater. There's kennel space and there's uh, doctor's quarters upstairs. 
And what's the story now? There is. Uh, this is a young graduate who's going to be joining, I believe, in a week. So we're really happy about that. We have had short-term placements before of young vets, and it's gone really well. They often need experience that they don't arrive with, but living and working here in Cody allows them to get that experience. That's hopeful and positive. A vet, a clinic and housing. Vera, do you have any closing thoughts? Cody has so many visitors. They should all go home thinking to themselves, now there's a place that takes animal welfare seriously. A very beautiful and very lovely sentiment said with so much pride. That was Vera de Young, ladies and gents, all the way from amidst the clouds and the puppies in Kodekanal. That's dog speak for did you know? Did you know why dogs bark? Well, there are many, many reasons. Here are just a few. Dogs bark to protect their territory. So what's territory, you may ask? The area around their home, the street, in the case of Indies, places they frequent, their haunts. If your dog is a pet indie, then the territory includes your car, your home, your street, even where you take the dog out for a walk. He or she will bark if they feel someone's invading. It's best to pay attention. I learned that if you try and suppress a dog who's trying to tell you something that is protecting its territory, they will bite the intruder or other animal without any warning. Dogs bark to sound the alarm saying, someone's at the door, someone may be coming to the window, I sense someone I don't know. Alarm barking is usually out of context, out of the blue, because dogs hear things very, very well, things that we don't hear. Social barking, that's when they hear other dogs barking in the area, usually at night, to show that they care. I guess it's sort of like a like button in dog speak. I don't know, that's just my way of looking at it. Barking out of sadness at being left alone. Some dogs just can't get over their separation anxiety. I hear one such dog repeatedly in my area and there's just nothing I can do. I can only sympathize with the poor dog because his parents do eventually come back even if they're gone for like five hours. I find this kind of behavior unpardonable. But it's not up to me. It's not a crime. Well, that's it from me for this time. And until next week, woof.